TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Hey there, welcome into this episode of the show. Michael Calhoun with you. And over the next hour, we're going to talk about keeping St. Louis area school students safe using 911 alerts. Also, is Amazon trying to muscle its way into our local grocery market? What is the biggest obstacle for minority entrepreneurs right now? There's one nonprofit trying to move those out of the way. Debbie Monterey will have that story and will introduce you to the new voice of KMOX. But first, let's get right to those 911 alerts and let's talk with the startup that's behind them. It's called Siren GPS. The CEO is Paul Rauner. And we're also joined by Ed Rich of the Maplewood Richmond Heights School District, which is one of the first to use these alerts. And we'll start with Paul. Tell me a little bit about this partnership, the technology that you bring to the table, and then the uh, the greater service that's being launched here. Okay, so you are likely familiar with Regis. They're the regional um, regional justice information uh, service. That's the it's a quasi governmental agency that uh, was established to support law enforcement agencies around the St. Louis region and the state. Siren GPS is a company that uh, I started with a partner, really focused on providing um, situational awareness for uh, citizen enterprise like businesses, hospitals, schools, uh, in emergencies to help them have a better opportunity to respond uh, when you know when the worst things happen, but also on a day-to-day basis for incidents that they are responsible for. That's really where the the connection comes from in that we'd been working on this technology for a number of years and really got it ready for commercial use about maybe 18 months ago and we're finishing some testing uh, really working with uh, local 911 agencies. And then it was sort of a uh, happenstance that we uh, discovered that Regis was looking for a tool that we'd already built. So uh, Chief Dan Isom, former uh, police chief city of St. Louis, was looking for um, essentially the same tools we had. To me, I think part of that was that he'd uh, been in discussion with, with developers we'd worked with or talked to about that question of, you know, how do you help a hospital or a school or a business know about emergencies more quickly and um, kind of looking at the same problem and looking for a a tool to use to do it. So we'd been kind of on parallel paths and we had the technology and and, uh, Regis has relationships that made sense for us. So that's how we ended up working together. Hey, Ed, how are you? I'm well, how are you? 
Fine, thanks. From your side, Ed, talk about what the school districts were looking for and how the technology from Siren GPS and Regis helped to bring everybody together. But uh, tell tell us what, uh, what the school districts needed, what the problem was to begin with. We didn't really know that we had a, a communications gap until we were approached by the, the folks at Siren GPS. Um, they they stopped by one day and um, with the help of their uh, their I don't know what you call her Paul. What does Maggie do for you? Maggie does sort of um, relations with you know, public relations and uh, communications for us. Yeah, so Maggie Crane and Paul and. Uh, Galena Bauer uh, all stopped by the office one day and and laid out what uh, what the service entails and I was bowled over um, uh, you know the prospect of uh, being able to uh, know about uh, potential incidents that that needed immediate attention uh, much much more quickly uh, was was very appealing to us so we signed on pretty quickly I have so many examples I could give you Michael uh, if you want to hear a few sure yeah absolutely please you know, uh, back, I guess it was January when we had um, really, really low temperatures uh, coupled with some snow. We had an incident at, uh, it was essentially 3.30 a.m. on a Sunday where uh, a section of uh, ceiling caved in in our middle school. Uh, we're in a, a four-story building here and the middle school is on the top level. And the the melting snow uh, was just too much for that that portion of the ceiling. So a, a small section caved in. So we had some water that entered the building. And again, this is, you know, 3.30 on a Sunday when there's no one here. We have people on call, but they're not on site. Um, when we got the, uh, the, the notice that you know, the, the fire alarm was tripped when the, the ceiling pieces caved in. So there was a, a motion sensor that went off. And therefore, you know, I get an alert on my, uh, my work phone. It came, came through as a text and an email as well. And we knew that we had some issue. We just didn't know what it was, but we uh, we rousted up the person on charge, and she came down and she said, "Well, this is the situation, and it's a good thing we knew about it because you don't want that kind of thing to uh, go unnoticed for a full day. You know, we don't want water uh, creeping wherever water goes in a school building. So that's just one incident. Um, last year, we had a very minor uh, bus uh, collision at our elementary school over in Richmond Heights, but." Uh, getting that notice, getting that that nine one one notice more quickly through Siren GPS, uh, just buys you that much more time to notify parents and say, "Hey, you know, we had a minor incident. We have to have a, a short, you know, police report made. Your kid is going to be getting home fifteen or twenty minutes later." Um, it buys us a lot of time, and it's uh, it's a great service. So this isn't just uh, one of your examples was something that happened inside the school building. One of the examples given, um, you know, an active shooter attack or something. Uh, so it could be something relating to the school or something in the vicinity that could have an indirect impact on the school activities. Precisely. Uh, they call them geofences. So we have, I want to say, I'm going to get this wrong, maybe eight or nine geofences. That is we have one that includes our middle school and high school, which is all in one building. We have an elementary school. We have an early childhood center. We have um, a- an off-site uh, home for uh, uh, unhoused high school boys. Uh, we have al- alternative services housed in two separate buildings that are not you know, on the main property of, of the campus. And then we have some other geofences. But yeah, the system is set up so that if there's an incident, say, 
you know, a, across the street or on, on the block across from the high school. And we've had this. Um, uh, we've, we've received notices um, because, you know, it, it, there could potentially be some kind of incident that is near our campuses, not on the campus, but near the campus that we need to know about. And in fact, just last week, um, our service uh, uh, agreement with Siren GPS, uh, I guess, was upgraded. Um, they have offered us um, notices uh, within a mile radius, I believe it is, for you know pretty serious events like, say, a hazardous materials incident or even a shooting or shots fired, something like that. So we're going to be adding those categories of alerts to our system. Um, the great thing about this is we can customize the service so that the the recipients of the alerts uh, across the school district, uh, that is principals, uh, me, our facilities director, and his assistant, we can customize who gets what alerts based on their geofence. So it turns out that our middle school principal lives in Maplewood, and he lives kind of, you know, if you, if you triangulated the main campuses, he's kind of in the middle. So that that principal gets alerts for everything because he can be an excellent first responder. He can be at any of our campuses within minutes. Um, our early childhood center principal, you know, I'm going to set her up to receive alerts on incidents. They're just in her area because she's not going to have uh, much either interest or, or anything that she can do to respond to um, an incident or an emergency uh, at, at the high school or the elementary school. So the, the customization part of it it's really handy. Can you uh, kind of describe whether it's for you, for the parents, for the you know frontline workers, uh, teachers, and staffers, the uh, the peace of mind with this? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've been in communications all of my life, and I know that uh, slow communications or communication with gaps in it can mean, um, you know, I'm not going to say life and death, but it could come to that. Um, the the peace of mind that comes with uh, really quick notification uh that can't be replaced um you know we <laughs> we have identified um like i said gaps in our own system just by um receiving these alerts uh for instance uh you know we we received one alert that had to do with um uh i'll say a, a trespasser on our campus it was during school hours and uh, I got the alert and I notified uh, the superintendent and I notified uh, the high school principal. But what I had failed to do was notify um, the middle school principal, who's also within the geofence that's occurred. And uh, there were some other people that I really should have notified, but uh, didn't, mainly just out of haste, because I was trying to get all the right people in the loop on this incident. Um, but with, with Siren GPS, <laughs> we can get everybody notified at the exact same time. And we've been better able to um, coordinate our response or, or the, I guess, streamline our, our chain of command, as it were. So it, that's, a, that's a big part of it. And Paul, how widespread is the adoption of this? I guess just start with in terms of municipalities and 911 services uh, that you're able to interface with. Well, it's, it's new technology. We, we developed it. We've patented a number of pieces of it, and it's it was, you know, really started here in the St. Louis region. So we first turned it on and did our pilot testing with uh, a 901 operation called East Central Dispatch Center, which is ECDC. They answer calls for uh, Clayton, Olivet, uh, 
Webster Groves, uh, there's eight municipalities that are just west of the city. They, they're, it's kind of hard to describe the sort of way that the, the puzzle piece map for 911 works, and it changes now and again, but um, Maplewood Rich and Heights is in that, and Brentwood as well. So that's why we you know, came to Rich and his team early on to engage them to, to use the service and find the benefit in it. And they've been really good partners with us seeing more day-to-day applications for it. Um, but we're, you know, we're really, this is a big launch for us to push it out to the uh, public schools in the, in the, in the area. We're now in three of the 901 operations, but there are, there are 18 different places where they answer 901 calls in the sort of greater St. Louis area um, and two more in the city. So um, we're in three of them. We have agreements with, I think, 10 more. Um, and there are a couple that we're still talking to to try to get them to turn it on for us. And then we can roll it out for the rest of them. The program we launched, uh, we announced yesterday, which is the uh, public school program, 901 RTA public school program, is an effort uh, we're working on Regis with Regis on that makes the service available to public schools in the region without any cost. Um, and to facilitate that, we're working with agencies across the county. Uh, so it's available in most of the areas that St. Louis County PD answers 901 calls, which is a lot of it. And then we're adding the the missing pieces of that puzzle as we as we go. Um, so Baldwin's coming online probably next week, um, and then Sunset Hills and you know West Central Dispatch, which covers Creve Court and a number of other areas, is um, got an agreement with us, and you know we'll keep we'll keep going building it from there. And so that's the input side. In terms of the output, uh, customers, uh, which school districts, how many school districts have uh, signed on to this? And then maybe some examples of the other, you know, a private business or any other entity that's, that's also on here. Yeah, so um, I, have to get a, I have to get permission from the businesses to be able to tell, you know, sort of mention who they are. Oh, sure, just generally maybe then. Yeah, yeah we're working with a, a sort of a mix in different, uh, different business spaces. You know, it's, it's large corporations that have... A security team. It could be a, a businesses that have a residential facility or something like that. These are some of the clients that we're either working with or, or talking about working with uh, in the in the area. So um, they have, you know, it's really sort of it crosses a, a lot of different business sectors: um, hospitals, business, residential care, schools. All of these are uh, places where the you have a responsibility for the you know either their residents or their students or their employees. And, you know, some varying level of competency and requirements for providing security for them. And in, in every sort of shade of that, having better information faster, it really makes it possible to, to manage day to day and sort of the worst case scenario protocols more efficiently. And that's really what it's for. I can show you a little bit about sort of um, what the service looks like. And I can show you uh, kind of the use cases that we, we built it on, if that makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that is a recurring data point is that an active shooter attack is resolved very quickly. Um, the FBI, and, and now it's under the National Threat Assessment, every every three years since Columbine, has issued a report on active shooters. And one of the metrics they track is how long these attacks take. There are a couple of outliers, like the Pulse nightclub shooting that lasted a, a number of hours. But in most cases, from the sort of the incident uh you know, start to when it's over, when that person either just leaves or is killed or some other way it's resolved is about 15 minutes or less. So that's your window of opportunity to, you know, have a lockdown, evacuate. However, the school or the business or the hospital or whatever the environment this is taking place in has planned to respond, you've got 15 minutes to do that before this thing's done. 
and that's kind of part of the window of opportunity. And the, the other piece I noticed was that there's a lot of anecdotal information about um, the time window for trauma care for a uh, you know a gunshot wound in this case, but uh, in general terms when you need trauma care. Uh, the U.S. military, the U.S. Army did a significant study based on our exposure in the Middle East that really demonstrated that uh, that getting trauma care within 60 minutes uh, affects outcomes in a beneficial way that, you know, if you don't, they, they drop off significantly. That's um, it was an interesting study. And it really kind of is the other other end of that window. And one of the things I recognize is if it takes, you know, 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get services there, you know, that's that's both of those windows are closing. Um, and then what I looked for was milestones. All right, so this is where the information is. Where are the milestones that show me when we can capture it and share it to get better information to those folks that need to, for example, shut down a school or you know initiate the lockdown or the evacuation or whatever it is, like I said. The startup is Siren GPS. And stay tuned. We'll talk about Amazon and groceries up next. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Well, as we continue on KMOX, there is potentially a new grocery shopping option coming to the St. Louis metro area. It's Amazon Fresh. The Business Journal reports that Sansone Group is in talks with Amazon to bring a Amazon Fresh grocery store to the vacant Toys R Us in Sunset Hills on South Lindbergh. But what is Amazon Fresh? Is it more about the fresh or more about the tech? Let's welcome in John Springer of Winsight Grocery Business to explain. Thank you, John, for joining us. Thanks, Michael, for having me. So first of all, just an introduction. What is Amazon Fresh? We know that Amazon also owns Whole Foods. And in some markets uh, like uh, Seattle and Chicago, they've had the Amazon Go stores, uh, which in Seattle I've gone to. It's the one where you can just walk out with whatever you have and you don't have to go to a checkout stand. It seems like it's more of a convenience store. What is Amazon Fresh and how does it differ from those and from the grocery we're familiar with? Yeah, Amazon, uh, pardon, Amazon Fresh is a kind of a combination of Amazon Go and uh, uh, Whole Foods in, in that it's, a, it's aimed at a uh, more mainstream market than Whole Foods. It is larger and has a bigger assortment than Amazon Go. It uses some of the same technology ideas as Amazon Go, but it's not, uh, does not use that, that just walk out technology uh, that they've got in that store. But that does use some technology, which I'm eager to try out, uh, that almost turns your shopping cart into a checkout stand. That's exactly what the dash cart does. Is This is a small shopping cart. I think it holds about two big bags of groceries. And uh, shoppers can use it. And essentially it is. It's got a screen that will help you, one, find your way through the store, find the things you're looking for, scan items as they go into the cart, and then you walk out with the cart. And that's just one example of the technology. Is, is this more about the fresh or is it more about the technology, would you say, John? You know, it's really about Amazon establishing a, a physical store footprint and competing for that mainstream grocery dollar in the United States than necessarily a showcase of technology the way the Amazon Go store would be or you know, and again, Whole Foods is kind of a, a showcase for, you know, niche uh, natural organic food and a little bit more food merchandising uh, theater. 
I will say one of the elements uh, that seems like it would be useful, first of all, and is pretty novel, is not just uh, integrating a shopping list and giving you the order in which your items appear in the store, but using Alexa almost as a, a maps, a GPS to get you through your list. Yeah, there is Alexa that you could use, obviously, on your telephone. You can, There are uh, booths or kiosks in the store that have the screen that you can, you, you can ask, you know, Alexa, where can I find, you know, the grain-free beef? And they'll tell you, they'll direct you to the right spot. Uh, you know, this is all, uh, you know, this is grocery shopping as though Amazon would approach it, right? So it's, it's data-heavy. It's very focused on you personally um, and the things you want. And, you know, that relies on this kind of communication between you and Amazon um, so that they can get you what it is you need. And entering the St. Louis market, Amazon is going up against a couple of established, dominant hometown grocers, Schnucks and Deerbergs. What's different about Amazon Fresh, or, or how do they, they set themselves up competitively? Um, what's their point of distinction versus Schnucks? Why should I go there versus Schnucks? Yeah, well, Amazon would tell you they, uh, you know, they're coming at you with uh, good pricing. Um, you know, they've, they've started with... Uh, uh, you know, everyday prices on, for example, bananas, I think at 15 cents each, which is, you know, the kind of uh, uh, front page kind of, uh, you know, uh, thing that'll get the consumer's attention because consumers generally know what the prices of bananas are. Uh, you know, good prices on things that are very popular in grocery stores like rotisserie chickens. Um, and they're going to, they've got a, a range of private brands that uh, uh, Amazon has developed and grocers have used private brands to kind of uh, make a, uh, an impression both on price but on quality. So they're kind of starting from scratch with that kind of stuff, and, and that's uh, helping them be affordable. Uh, they also want to, uh, you know, uh, bring assortment and quality. So it's really, it's really Michael, a, a sort of quality price uh, approach with, you know, the personalization and the technologies and those things to kind of back it up uh, that makes the the Amazon store a little bit different. And of course, they've got a gigantic uh, and powerful uh, loyalty program going in in Prime. And so Prime is the, the key to kind of unlocks your dash card and some of these other things. You don't need to be a Prime member to shop there, but I think it makes sense for uh, Prime shoppers to uh, shop at that store because they'll have access to those kinds of things. So keeping those people in the ecosystem for Amazon is important and gaining a greater share of their spending by getting it into their everyday groceries is important for them. What do you make, John, of, of uh, Amazon picking St. Louis as, as this market to enter when you think about the national, the, the established national grocers? You know, Kroger has almost ringed St. Louis, but they haven't come in with full-line stores because Schnucks is so dominant. And Albertson Safeway didn't buy Shop and Save when they bought Jewel uh, and has not entered the St. Louis market either. Uh, Walmart has even, uh, I think, uh, not really opened as many neighborhood markets as expected. Um, so why is Amazon deciding that St. Louis that they're going to try this market? Well, I, I can't speak specifically about what it is about St. Louis that's keeping other grocers away uh, necessarily. But, uh, you know, what I can say is that, uh, you know, it's an indication, I think, from Amazon's point of view 
that they want stores everywhere there are people. So, uh, you know, uh, they've opened um, only a, a small number at this point, only nine or 10 stores, I think, but they're in Los Angeles, Chicago. Uh, but we're hearing reports every day, you know, St. Louis this morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was Minneapolis. Uh, last week, we heard, you know, the first rumblings of the stores in the uh, New York metro area where I am. And uh, so th this indicates that, you know, Amazon has got uh, ambitions anyway to be putting stores everywhere. And that's important for grocers because, you know, we make a big deal when a, when a new grocer comes to town. But, you know, uh, as Schnooks demonstrates, right, it takes dozens and dozens of stores in a market to be truly impactful. And so that's the long term kind of uh, uh, look. And it, it is a little bit unusual, I think, to see a, a to see a, a a grocer expanding the way Amazon is. A pocket of stores here in Los Angeles, then jump into Chicago, jump in. Uh, it's so look, they've got a huge war chest. I think they're probably getting uh, you know going to put a lot of effort and and uh, investment behind this thing. And you know, it, it's been said that Jeff Bezos. Uh, you know, forthcoming uh, retirement from the CEO role. Among the things he's going to do is focus on on Amazon's role in grocery. So all of this is a uh, you know an indication that that Amazon it intends to become very uh, you know a, a very substantial player in, in U.S. grocery, and that would mean you know it wouldn't just be one store or two store. It would be uh, hundreds and 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 up to uh, a few thousand stores. Well, is there anything else I've uh, missed or anything else you want to add? Well, you know, we've gotten some mixed reviews from people who've shopped the stores. You know, some people, uh, uh, you know, are very impressed with the dash card and uh, the, you know, experience that brings for them. Um, and, uh, you know, other people feel, have told me, well, it feels like walking around in an Amazon website and there's something, you know, impersonal and, you know, authentic about it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Amazon is taking these uh, these kinds of comments as they hear them uh, very seriously. And they'll be um, uh, working on the concept as, as, as we go forward. But um, we'll see how things shake out over the longer term. All right. So we'll watch for Amazon Fresh potentially coming to Sunset Hills. Stay tuned. More Nothing Impossible is up after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. As we continue, Michael here. Travis will be back with us next week. Debbie Monterey helps out with this segment, though, about a nonprofit in South City that's helping to boost minority business ownership, minimize income inequality, and spur economic development. Valerie? Yes. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Valerie Liddell, can you explain in a nutshell what Grind and Growth is? Okay, yes. Grind Plus Growth, we are a nonprofit organization and we focus on minority entrepreneurship or just, um, just entrepreneurship in general where we help entrepreneurs with the idea stage or the early um, business stage or even growth stage, just help them start their businesses and giving them business education, providing them mentorship. And also once they graduate the um, Growth Accelerator program, which teaches the business education, they then receive funding to help with the startup of their business venture. Starting a business can be 
really confusing and intimidating for anyone. Yes. What made you decide on doing this? Because I was once that person where I was very intimidated. I was very confused. I didn't really know where to begin, where to go. And then when I um, got in touch with potential resources, those resources did not really fit my needs. That's when I started looking to other resources to where I could educate myself and that's how Grind Plus Growth started because all the things that were um, shared with me and all the things that I learned, I wanted to put it into um, something to where I can help other people as well. What would you say is the biggest obstacle for somebody starting a business right now? What are your clients finding is hardest? Mentorship or capital or resources? The biggest obstacle right now would definitely be capital. Uh, we are in, a, in the middle of a pandemic still, and things are not uh, progressing as quickly as business owners would like it to. It's a struggle in a sense trying to access certain resources as far as um, financial backing. And so that's why the program is so important, because I don't want them to worry about how they're going to uh, financially support their business. I want them to learn that business education piece and really be able to focus on that, knowing that that financial piece will be taken care of at the end. We have supported over 75 entrepreneurs so far. Now, you said that there's a, an accelerator program? Yes. So our growth accelerator program, our winter class of 2021, they recently graduated on March the 4th. And that program was 10 weeks, and we had a pitch competition, Shark Tank style, on March the 4th. And three of the participants in the program, they walked away with, um, with grant money. Um, first prize, $10,000. Second prize was $2,500. And the third prize was $1,000. Um, the goal for that program going forward is to make sure that when everyone graduates, they walk away with something. And who was the... The number one, who was the main prize winner? <laughs> the number one win winner was um, Gwen Logan Craig. Her business is MVT Virtual Learning, and she focuses on bridging the gap between virtual learning and helping students with tutoring them to get them up to speed on what they're learning virtually, students who are really struggling. Well, we've all... <laughs> We've all been experiencing yes. that, that's for sure. Because <laughs> I think about when we're kids and you have like, you know, take your daughter to work day and you go to dad's law office or, you know, you go to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> it is really important to see somebody running their business. It's very important. Uh, and I think that's why the, we put the mentorship program in place, because we want them to know that your journey is not alone. And there is support out there, and here is support that we're providing for you. They will be placed with their own mentor, and that mentor will go on that journey with them for the whole 10 weeks, even up to a year after they graduate the program. For somebody thinking right now of starting a business, but maybe is a little nervous about it, what, what would be your best advice to somebody? Being nervous is good because no one starts a business 100% confident. <laughs> Just evaluate exactly why you want to do it. See who else is out there doing similar things. Reach out to them and see if they're willing to sit down with you. Try to figure out what your target audience want versus what you want them to have. Because a lot of people tend to create the product before they realize if the product is needed or not. So once you figure out that there is a need, a true need for what you want to do, then cater that need based on your customers. 
That's Debbie Monterey with the CEO and founder of Grind Plus Growth. Stay tuned. We'll introduce you to the new voice of KMOX after this. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. That's the new voice that you heard introduced on KMOX this week, Deidre Goodwin. She's a St. Louis native living in New York City. Let's get an introduction to Deidre Goodwin. As far as performing, I started very late. Springfield, Missouri State University, still with Southwest Missouri uh, at the time. And after graduating there, I was fortunate to be able to move to New York City. And since I've been here since 95, I have been a rocket. I have done eight Broadway shows. I'm in the movie Chicago and uh, a bunch of other films. Um, and I also teach, I do choreography, and then I was able to become a voiceover artist on top of that. So, and I do TV and film. So I've been very lucky that I, I do a lot of different things within the performing arts and it's continued to grow and expand over the years. So. I'm very, very fortunate. So tell me about uh, St. Louis, how you uh, went to school, and I understand you worked on the riverfront. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I moved here when uh, to St. Louis when I was 13 with my mom and my brother. She worked for Southwestern Bell when it was switching over to AT&T. So she got transferred, and we came up. We live in Baldwin. I had one year of junior high left, so I went to Selvage Junior High, and then I went to Lafayette High School, Lafayette Escadrille, and um, the riverboat, I don't even think that, I'm pretty sure that boat's no longer there. If it is, I I would have it checked, (laughs) but uh, uh, it was a little review show. It was a dinner theater where we did we, we, the cast had this small dressing room that was basically this narrow little closet that all five or six of us would change in it. And we'd do a dinner show where we'd sing, dance, and in between courses, we'd serve food. There was like this whole Tina Turner bit that I did where for the salad portion, I remember distinctly, like we would like make the salad all crazy and literally sing rolling down the river, but throw the dinner rolls at the patrons. I don't think that would happen right now. <laughs> with COVID. And I remember one of my favorite memories is uh, there were these little banquettes that, and during the dessert coffee hour, I, all of us would sing different little snippets of solos and I would sit on the top of the banquette. So there's people sitting like right below and I'm singing my song, my little heart's all in it. And this uh, older woman, she reaches up in the middle of the song, the spotlight is on me. Dear, can I have some more decaf? I was like, one second (laughs) but it's talk about you know paying your dues and learning how to work under any circumstance (laughs) it was great was anything about your time in st louis stuck with you well i remember when i first moved there it was because i came from oklahoma city it was my first time being in a sports town oklahoma city now obviously is a sports town too but back then i i didn't I wasn't a sports person, like I ran track, but I was not into sports. And I remember the Cardinals were always such a big deal and just feeling that energy from fans and from hockey. Even if I didn't go to all the games, I it, it's just a part of St. Louis. People are about their sports. And I love seeing people cheer for something and root for something. And um, 
that really stuck with me over the years. I also, I guess because it was high school in those formative years, the idea of a community coming together where for me, I was a theater kid, but I wasn't a theater kid. I just loved theater. And uh, I was friends with so many different groups. It just felt like everybody can kind of be like the nerd they were and okay, it was fine. Um, and, or the cool kid, if they were the cool kid, it was just kind of blended. Um, and what else do I remember from St. Louis? Oh, the Riverfront Times. Because that was when I first realized that I wanted to perform and just didn't know how to go about it at all. I, I remembered if I looked in the paper, they would have like auditions sometimes. So I would get that. And that was uh, my connection to what was happening in St. Louis. And my also, to be honest with you, there a hint that there was something beyond St. Louis. Right. And then one of my other memories, which didn't come full circle until about four or five years ago, uh, the Muni, huge, because I was loving theater so much and just wanted to see it and craved it. And I just had no, I didn't know where to find it. But I remember distinctly going to the free seats they had, drove myself down there because I was already 16. And I got there extra, extra early to make sure I can get a seat. And I didn't put the pieces together until many years, years later, but I watched because no one was there. I watched the woman who was rehearsing to go on for Cassie that night because I believe she was the understudy and she was rehearsing. And I found out years later, it was someone I ended, ended up working with named Nancy Hess. And that planted in my seat, a seat in me like, oh, wow, they can tour, they can do these things. And I didn't work at the Muni until I was a full grown adult, had been in the business for years and finally got to come back and do Beauty and the Beast and seeing how they run the Muni, the family involved there, whether it's literal family or just the connections that are built up in how welcoming but organized it is as well, because it's in and out for the performers. I loved that experience and I'm happy that it's there because anyone can enjoy theater and have an event with their family and friends. And it's a fun time. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful they have, they're back this summer, like a lot of theaters, but it's a great institution and I'm so happy it exists. You've done these, these voiceovers. You know, what, what kind of mindset do you try to get in? Um, you know, you're trying to convey all these different things, credibility and authority. And, and just as a professional, how do you prepare for that? Or what kind of a mindset do you, do you get in before you do that? Well, the interesting thing, especially for things like this, I often don't get the copy until an hour before, if I'm lucky. Um, so a lot of times, if I have time, I'll just try to read through it first to get an idea of what I'm doing. But a lot of it, if I don't know the show or the topic I'm talking about, if I have time, I'll research it, or I'll ask the producer who's working with me, and I could change my tone. And what, what I found is each place has its identity or sound and then I can work from there and the thing that's tricky is it may only be a few words but you still have to tell a story in three words so finding the inflection what goes up what goes down why it goes down if I want to use my natural timbre of my voice or drop it lower or go a little higher um, if there's a smile involved or if it's more straightforward, that affects the voice as well. Or I call it eyebrow acting sometimes. <laughs> I will change the tone of the voice. I, I typically, oh my God, I start doing more conversational sounding. 
uh, uh, voiceover. So I've now merged a little bit of the conversational with typical announcer sound and sometimes a whole new hybrid comes out of it. And it's fun too, because I've always listened to watch TV, listen to the radio. I probably too much TV, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but um, so over years of hearing things, it's, it, it's seeped in subconsciously, whether I knew it or not. And typically a lot voiceovers are mainly men and it's shifting now. And um, it's fun to have the same sound, but with my voice, if that makes any sense, but it's all because of listening over the years and absorbing that tone and getting the message across, whatever it is, whether it's two words or a whole thing, you know? So KMOX, when you think of KMOX, what, uh, what words come to mind? For me, for KMOX, from my time, I just remember it on being one of the stations I would listen to when I would drive around back in the day when we still had a cassette tape. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you, darling. But um, <laughs> um, I just remember the title and I remember it associated with sports, so much with sports. Um, and I think that actually now that we're talking about it, I think it's interesting because like I said, I wasn't necessarily a sports kid, but I would listen to it because it was exciting to hear the games on the radio. And my mom was a huge, huge Cardinal fan. So we listened to it there as well. Um, and there's something about a comfort about having a station that you're familiar with the, the, the voices, the people who have shows on there. It, it could sound like home and like make you relax a bit. That's Deidre Goodwin, the new voice that you hear introducing, well, pretty much everything on KMOX. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. Find the podcast on radio.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 